Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined by Eric Kane, coming off a big Tennessee baseball weekend in Houston. Tennessee goes two and one, which Eric and I both predicted would would happen. And uh, big wins over Baylor and Oklahoma on Saturday and Sunday. Tennessee beats Baylor ten to five on Saturday. Tennessee beats Oklahoma eight to nothing on Sunday. They do lose to Texas 7-2 on Friday night, and we will dive into each and every one of those games over the weekend. But first, I do want to apologize that this podcast is a little bit later than we typically put out the podcast and um, maybe got a little too ambitious with the daily podcast there in Houston. And the the Friday night game really threw the weekend off. <laughs> uh, LSU and was it Oklahoma? I think it there's, was Ben. There's no excuse, man. You said you were going to do a podcast. We said we were going to do a podcast at every single game. Why not at 2:30 a.m. Eastern time on a Saturday morning? I, I I don't get it, man. It's really, I'm going to blame this on you, dude. It's all your fault. Yep, yep. I I assumed that you were asleep, and I had been up since 4:45 because I went to the gym before I did the Swain event on Friday morning, and then I traveled, and then I went and covered the game, and the game was a long game on top of going late because LSU Oklahoma went into extra innings. So Friday night just wasn't going to happen. And then Saturday you were busy with junior day recruiting on campus and I was still tired from the day before. So I said, whatever it is, what it is at this point. And then Sunday after the the game against Oklahoma, I went over to the Toyota Center and watched the Rockets, who had lost 12 in a row, beat my Memphis Grizzlies because, of course, that's naturally how it works with me in attendance. <laughs> uh, and and then yesterday, had a fun day of travel. Wife <laughs> realized that she forgot her wedding ring um, at the hotel 10 minutes before we got to the airport, so I had to turn around and go back and get that. Somehow we did make our flight on time and, and then get back to Knoxville. Uh, around one or no, it was about two or three o'clock when we got here by the time we got to the house and then had to drive to Chattanooga to pick up the dog. And then we made our flight on time, but our luggage did not make that flight. So it had to be on the next flight to Knoxville, which was at four o'clock central time. And then by the time I got back from picking up the dog yesterday, had to go pick up the luggage. And by then it was eight thirty, nine o'clock. We had the Monday night chat coming up. I had zero energy. So I I apologize for a not doing the daily podcast. It just did not work out. I was too ambitious there and B for putting this out on Tuesday around lunch. But uh, we're here, Eric. That, that's all that matters. And it was a successful weekend of Tennessee baseball. But no excuses, Ben. It is what it is. <laughs> I was I was sitting right here in this chair ready to roll on Sunday afternoon. I'm like, Ben, where you at? And he's like, oh, I'm watching the Grizz. I'm like, oh, OK. Nah, man, uh, obviously the understandable, uh, I've been traveling across the country. So get that, um, good week of Tennessee baseball, um, all, all of that for what we knew, what was going to happen, right? Tennessee going two and one, but face some adversity responded to that adversity. That's something that you and I both were very intrigued about because you knew it was going to happen this weekend, really hadn't happened all season long and, uh, responded the right way. Came out of there, had two quality wins against two quality programs, I mean, you know, not to the level of Texas, of course, not to the level of some of the teams 
I'm um, in the SEC. You're going to play this year, but two quality wins and and look good against the number one team in the country for a lot of the time. And something we'll dive into here in just a second. Uh, the pitching duel there on Friday night, late Friday night, was uh, just incredible. So a lot of positives to take away from this weekend, and you needed this weekend because again, cupcake after cupcake after cupcake. I mean, it's a rude awakening once SEC play comes in. So it was good good to see Tennessee play this weekend out there in the Shriners. Let's start with Friday night and Tennessee's 7-2 to loss to Texas. And before we get into the second half of that game, it was a four, two four-inning games, essentially. The, the first four innings were a real battle. Really, the first five innings were a battle. And then Texas just took it to Tennessee over the last four innings. But despite the loss, Eric, Chase Burns was the story. He was a big leaguer on a big league mound at 18 years old, true freshman, making his third career start against the number one team in the country. And now Texas doesn't have the best lineup in the country. They are ranked number one because of their pitching, but they still have some tough bats in that lineup. And Chase Burns absolutely lived up to the hype. He pitched five innings. He only gave up one run, gave up one walk, only allowed two hits, and struck out 10 batters on 81 pitches. I believe it was seven strikeouts in a row at one point. He was just absolutely tremendous, Gainer. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, You know, I I keep waiting for him to show signs of his age, to show signs of his youthful nature, but I haven't seen that yet. Thought we were going to see it on Friday. I mean, I really did. And that's no slight to him. It's just, you know, part of growing up, part of maturing in this game, right? But that didn't happen. He was awesome. Um, I do think that if SEC play, if this was SEC play, might have given him another inning or so. 81 pitches is not an awful lot. 81 through five. I mean, that's, you know, another inning or so that's trending in the wrong direction. I get that. But you said it there, just at one point in time, seven straight strikeouts, 10 overall, scattering just two hits across five. Not the best lineup, like you said, but still a quality, quality lineup. A very good lineup. Aw- yeah, he was he was awesome, man. And um, that was obviously the entire weekend. That was that was the show for me. That that was the highlight. And, and Tennessee, whew, again, we keep talking about what this rotation can be. And we know Dolander struggled the next day a little bit. We'll talk about that here in a second, but Gosh, starting with Burns there, this this rotation could be just deadly this year in the SEC. You kind of touched on it there, but what did you think of Tony Vitello putting Camden Sewell in for the sixth inning uh, and pulling Chase Burns after just five? Because that was kind of the story of the game, and uh, that's what flipped the game. Yeah, from a fan's perspective, you're a little disappointed, right? You felt like you got robbed of what could have been a really, really nice outing, but Again, this is the third weekend of the season. Okay, there's there's going to be plenty of more. And so I didn't have that big of an issue with it. If this was an SEC game, again, I, I, I might have. But I, I totally understood uh, the logic there because, again, just 18 years old, you know, just making a third career start. I, I, I get all that. As far as going to Sewell, you know, why not? I mean, he's the stopper, right? I mean, he's, you know, one, one of the most valuable arms you have on this entire team. He struggled. He absolutely did. Gave up two runs, uh, three runs, excuse me, two of them earned. Uh, just got through a third of an inning. Uh, wasn't his night. But um, would never second guess the decision to put in Sewell in that position um, ever again. Um, I, I, you know, if, if they played tomorrow in that same situation, I put Sewell in again. It just kind of is what it is. Yeah, I, I would not have put Sewell in, honestly. And it's just because 
Not that I don't think he is Tennessee's best reliever out of the bullpen right now. I, I think he is the number one guy at the moment uh, and will be all season. I raved about Camden Sewell on our last podcast that we did going into the weekend. It's just 52 pitches on two days rest. He threw 52 pitches against ETSU on Tuesday, yeah. and then two days later he's coming in against the top-ranked team in the country. Uh, so I, I probably would have – extended chase burns one more inning but i understand the thinking there and agree with the understanding i I don't think it was a bad decision to pull chase burns at 81 pitches i just don't know that i would have gone to camden Sewell because he he was coming off of two days rest after throwing 52 pitches against etsu he went what three innings and a third against the bucks i believe in the midweek and at that point tom you're right i was like okay what's his availability gonna look like for friday obviously he was full go but that's a really good point right and you know not not only did he throw 52 pitches kane but they they were 52 pitches in a close game and so they were high intensity pitches or high leverage pitches uh, which it, it does wear you down a little bit more than just uh, your your typical, you know, pitches in a 10 nothing ball game or, or something like that. They were high, high stress pitches, and that does wear on the body a little bit more. But uh, that was that was kind of more my questioning with Tony Vitello isn't necessarily extending Chase Burns, although, again, I would have left him in there for one more inning. I just think at at this time of the year, Third career start, true freshman. This game doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It's all about building up to the SEC tournament, the NCAA tournament. That's why I was totally okay with pulling Chase Burns at that moment. And he was at 81 pitches. I, I thought the more interesting one was on Sunday, and we'll get to Drew Beam, but he, th- he uh, pulled Drew Beam after five on 68 pitches. It, yeah. It's not like he pulled Chase Burns – after five at 68 pitches. I mean, 81 pitches for a true freshman, third career start in early March. That that's that's a lot of work early in the mm-hmm. season. So I didn't have a problem with that whatsoever. And I didn't really have a problem with putting in Camden Sewell. I just think that was the the more questionable decision putting in Camden after again coming off a of two days rest on 52 high leverage pitches against ETSU. And even with Camden pitching. He was not the typical Camden Sewell. Tony Vitello told me after the game that he thought he was too sped up uh, because of the atmosphere and whatnot. But Camden only gives up one run if Jarrell Ortega turns a double play at second. And it would have been two to one after that sixth inning. And then in the top half of that next inning, uh, Tennessee scored a run on a Cortland Lawson RBI double down the, the left field line that kind of just got across the bag in fair territory and then rolled into foul territory there in left field. If the double play is turned in that previous inning, it's a 2-2 game with midway through the sixth. So I thought the more questionable decision was going to Camden Sewell rather than pulling Chase Burns. Yeah, and that error is tough. You can never assume a double play, um, but that was that was going to be a double play. Just overran it, right? It looked like he just over-pursued it too far to his left. And you know, by the time he got mid on ball, it was kind of just off the – no, off the corner there, and so uh, that that's I think, unfortunate. Uh, you're you're thinking of that was one that was on Saturday, I believe, the one up the middle, the one that the one in the Texas game. It kind of the hop ate him up deep in the hole, 
and, and it kind of went in, rolled into the outfield. Uh, I, I think you're thinking of the one that was, uh, I think it was Saturday, but there's one up the middle that they ruled a hit where he just couldn't get to it in time, and it was a tough play to make. Uh, maybe I'm wrong that, that you're not thinking yeah. of that, but the, the one against Texas was, I mean, it was a regular ground ball, and he just booted it. Uh, maybe, no, it was, uh, on a, maybe it was a weird hop. I don't know, but it, he, he yeah. just flat out booted it. I can make the case it was a weird hobby. I, I'm talking about the one on Friday night because I talked to John Wilkerson about a Saturday morning. Uh, you know, regardless what it is, it's a play he, he usually makes, right? I mean, that's right. a play he makes. And you, you turn two right there, the four, six, three, and, you know, you're out of the inning with, you know, and, and you're sitting pretty. So I'm with you there. And then again, along with Sewell, you know, that's something we talked about, you know, going into the weekend was what's the atmosphere going to look like? Um, you know, how, how's the adrenaline going to be pumping? Because, Big time stage, number one team playing in a major league park, um, nice crowds, uh, you know, and will that affect some people more than others? And, you know, going on short rest and obviously it looked like it, it affected Camden Sewell, but I'm with you. It was, it was a fun game to watch really through five. And then from there, it was just, it was just Texas just kind of beating up on Tennessee there to end the game and it got out of hand and ultimately resulted in the seven to two uh, loss for Tennessee. Yeah. And Tony Vitello, I mean, immediately after the game, and we're about to touch on some situational baseball, situational hitting, because that played a role as well. And and I thought that was the bigger issue in the game than pulling Chase Burns. You, you had several base running mistakes. You didn't hit well with runners on base. You didn't hit well with runners in scoring position. You had the Jarrell Ortega error. Uh, so situational baseball, situational hitting was the bigger issue to me. They, they were too hyped up, and you heard Tony Vitello talk about that several times over the weekend in regards to Friday's game. But I add, so that was my first question because I thought that was the biggest issue with the, the performance in that particular game. And that was my first question to Tony after the game. And he said, he didn't even really give me an answer. I mean, he gave me like a, a one sentence on that particular question. And then he immediately jumped to the, <laughs> the Chase Burns uh, situation. I mean, it was eating him alive. Uh, after the game that he kind of pulled Chase Burns when he did. And he he said, I'll beat you to the punch. I think the root of what went on tonight is that Chase Burns was outstanding and I chose not to ride him. So, and I heard him speaking with John Wilkerson on Monday uh, to him and uh, Jimmy that he was too dead set on the plan going into the game. Camden's yeah. their best reliever. I'm going to ride Chase to the fifth inning, which is the plan early in the year because they don't want to overtax his arm. And he was just too dedicated to that plan of immediately immediately going to Camden when he probably should have deviated from that plan just a little bit and given Chase uh, one more inning. But, Eric, the, 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 the miscues that are not normal with this team, you, you don't typically see this team make the base running mistakes that it did um, they're, they're typically a really good defensive team, which they showed on Saturday and Sunday, but I, I thought the situational aspect of baseball really killed them in that game as well. Yeah. I mean, every now and again, you, you have a, just a complete base running blunder. It's like, kind of like, you know, what are you doing? I mean, Tennessee in the ETSU game last week, uh, the midweek, I forgot who it was. Apologies. I, I have it in my write-up, but it got bailed out essentially because, the Bucks chose to try to get the runner out from second, and that that allowed the guy to get back to third after a missed tag. But you know, just a ground ball, the infield playing in, ground ball to third, the runner takes off in third, going home. It's like I think it was Jordan Beck. It's like, well, what are you doing there? 
And so you saw another base running blunder there, but as, as you were getting to a moment ago, and this will come back and get you in every single game. It, it's unfortunate, but hey, sometimes it's baseball. Uh, you know, in, in your right up here, and I'm looking at the at the box score, you know, three of 15 with runners on base, one of nine with runners in scoring position, O of one with the bases loaded. Um, you, you have, you know, you, you had chances, right? And to, to beat good quality teams, you have to take advantage of those chances. You can get by a lot of times playing some teams and and leaving some runners on and not being clutch with scoring with runners in scoring position, but not against some of the better teams. And ultimately that was, you know, another reason Tennessee came up short uh, against Texas. Yeah, sure. That it got to the arms of the bullpen that lineup did, but you also had chances to tack on some more runs yourselves and you, uh, you weren't able to do so. And I want to tip my hat to Tennessee fans before we move on to Saturday's game. It, it was a Texas home game as it should have been uh, Austin, only two and a half hours away from Houston, but there was a really nice Tennessee contingent. There, there really was. I, I saw power tees and Tennessee baseball shirts all over the concourse. I mean, I would take my eyes off of one person wearing a Tennessee shirt and somebody else would walk into my eyesight <laughs> wearing a Tennessee shirt, if not multiple. So uh, awesome. shout out to Tennessee fans, which we knew that they would show up uh, and there would be a nice contingent. Uh, and there really was on that Friday game and throughout the weekend honestly and it was just a really cool tournament in general the atmosphere there was really cool uh there there was nothing about it that was kind of boring in terms of the atmosphere friday night they had the roof open which was really cool saturday and sunday they had the roof closed because it was real cloudy in houston and didn't really get any rain um and, until we were leaving monday morning but there i guess just for the possible threat of rain they they decided to close the roof and honestly i kind of liked it, it with the roof closed how uh how hot was it there this weekend uh, like 73 it wasn't hot at all dude it was hotter here man i mean it was like it was like 78 79 like it was it was burning up here it felt good there uh the only time i sweat during the weekend while i was out there was on my flight to texas that's the only time i was sweating was on the flight to Houston because the plane was so hot that it, it was real comfortable. It really was. Uh, we, we had a really good time, but the tournament was cool. LSU and Texas on Saturday night, the place was jam packed and just an electric atmosphere. I don't know if you watched any of it on the MLB network. Uh, I know you were dealing with recruiting on campus, but LSU fans outperformed Texas fans and Baton Rouge isn't far from Houston. I don't know exactly how I can far. still believe that man. LSU fans in terms of baseball, baseball and yeah. they're passionate fans anyways, uh, as is. And look, I, I think if the game was played in Nashville or Atlanta, like Tennessee would have had the same type of contingent mm -hmm. because fans are all in on Tennessee baseball right now, but it was just a, a really cool tournament. You, you kind of see some of these baseball tournaments and, and you think, or you see very few people in the stands and, kind of not a great atmosphere or it's not very loud. And that wasn't the case this weekend. Uh, Shriners did a really good job of putting on a, a great tournament. And I, I really enjoyed it and hope Tennessee goes back uh, sometime soon. So I did want to tip my hat to the tournament in general uh, and, and Tennessee fans that were there as well. And Minute Maid Park is awesome. There, there's not many good looking <laughs> things in Houston, but Minute Maid was really, really neat. I, I I liked how unique it is. I know the outfield wall is kind of funky, and it hurt Tennessee in that Texas game, actually, yeah. uh, on that uh, RBI triple from their big first baseman. But it, it was really, really nice. I, I 
it, it's it's up there. Granted, I haven't been to a ton of major league parks. <laughs> it's truest is the only one that I've been to that's better. Uh, it's better than, and this is going to show my lack of stadiums. I've been, I've only been to four. I think that's the fourth major league park I've been to. I've been to uh, Tampa Bay, and um, I've been to Turner, and then I've been to Truist and Minute Maid. I think those are the only four that I've been me, to. Uh, so uh, you've me. got your long list. I think you said last week you you've knocked out half of the MLB stadiums, but yeah. Minute Maid. I grant my short my list is really short, but. It it was awesome. It really was. I'm uh I'm extremely jealous. Like I said, I couldn't remember which podcast I kind of went into that on, but uh, that, that's it's an expensive hobby and one that I love. I mean, I've been I've been to Yankee Stadium, Fenway, Wrigley, Camden. I mean, I've been to some cool parks. I've always wanted to go to Minute Maid. I'm gonna go to Minute Maid sometime. So uh, I'm just looking at the picture right here that you took on on one of the stories on VolQuest. And I mean, of course, I know what Minute Maid looks like, but with the roof open, whoo. It just, I'm jealous, man. That's awesome. I'm glad you had a good time. I'm glad that uh, the 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 park was everything you thought it'd be. Yeah, it, it was really neat. Encourage anybody uh, that can go to go if if they get an opportunity. The one downside is that the Astros play there, and I, I just felt disgusting all weekend. And and truly, like I walked into the gift shop because when I go to any opposing team's arena or stadium i like to go into their gift shop and i don't know look maybe a t-shirt i'm i'm willing to wear a, another t-shirt but then i walked into that astros team shop and i was like no i i can't do it i love justin verlander and i thought about getting a justin verlander shirt and i was just like no i cannot wear anything houston astros i felt so grimy and i tweeted it out i mean i i just they disgust me those, those people in there and all that merchandise my wife and i we like to collect magnets so i did get me a a minute made park magnet um so that was that was pretty cool that that's the most i could do is a minute made magnet with the I collect, logo. Uh, so i collect pins both ink pens i don't know why it's really weird i think one time like one of the first times i wanted to keep score with the score i'm an old man i swear i'm an old man and so i went in the gift shop and bought a pen so every place i go to i buy an ink pen and uh, I also buy a pen pen and you can't see it behind me. I know this doesn't work for radio or for podcasting, but uh, all the all the parks I've been to, I, I, I stick a pen and like a cork board. So those are the nice. two things I collect. That Those are I, I get you. I always go in the gift shop and get something, you know, anywhere I go. So but yeah, ugh, Houston trash cans, cheaters. Yeah, I did you. actually get me a Minute Maid lapel. I, I did. I've, I've been collecting them of late. Really? This was only my second one that I actually got. Well, second one that I've bought. My dad being in the military, he's given me a bunch of lapels over the years and coins and things. Yeah. But um, when I went to Omaha, they gave us a College World Series lapel. So That's they cool. had a, a cool Minute made without the Astros logo uh, lapel. So I'm going to put that on my desk here with me. Nice. So anyways, uh, Saturday's game. Uh, and I guess before I really dive into Saturday's game, in totality, Eric, I think the team, the thing we learn most about this team is that they're going to be able to handle adversity. Mm-hmm. And I pause as I begin to talk about the Baylor game because the adversity entered Saturday's game as as well after already losing to Texas in frustrating fashion on Friday. You immediately go down four to nothing against Baylor, and I don't know about you, but I was sitting in the, sitting there in the press box and thinking, "Oh Lord, here we go again." Now, you know it's funny, I because I, I was listening on 
you know, my, my way to campus to cover recruiting. And I was listening to, I caught the back end of that inning and I'm just like, Oh man. But then I was like, wait, there's still so much time left. And I was like, I'm not, I don't know if Tennessee will win this one, but I like Tennessee's chances with that lineup stack with, you know, eight more innings to go compared to anybody in the country. So I wasn't calling a win, but I was like, all right, not a great start, but let's see how Tennessee responds. And boy, did it. It did goes on to win 10 to five. And in that top of the first inning, was as bad of a inning I've seen under Tony Vitello since he kind of took over and just had bad innings because he had a lack of talent. I mean, that top yeah. of the first was awful. Chase Dolander, he he did not have it going. At least he settled in there in the second and third inning uh, before Kirby Connell came in and pitched tremendously and kind of saved the day uh, from a pitching staff standpoint. But Chase Dolander hits the first batter that he sees. And then he walks the next batter, and then Baylor's able to get some runs off of that. And because they stole six bases in the first inning, they're two away from tying the NCAA record for stolen bases in a season or uh, in an inning. And it it was just between uh, the lack of command on the mound and the base running, that top of the first was as bad of an inning as I've ever seen. And I tweeted that, and kind of to your point of what you just said, Eric, I also tweeted the good news it's only the first inning. Yeah. And a couple of things we've been talking about all season long. It's it's not just, you know, Russell behind the play, but it's, you know, you're working with your battery mate, the guy, you know, guy on the mound to manage the base runners. You are you are managing the runners on base, and Dolaner was going through it. So, obviously, that was just horrific. I did notice, uh, you know, I, I try to track things. I track certain positions like left field, catcher, DH, all, all weekend long. I mean, Russell got the start behind the dish every single game, so – um, you know, Dolan. that, that was noteworthy. Um, but, uh, it, you know, good on, you know, back, back to, uh, to Dolan or good on him for settling in because you're right. I mean, you use what four pitchers the night before five pitchers the night before you give up a four spot, which is everything going horribly wrong in the first inning. I, Tony Vitello could have very easily went out there and just yanked him there, but settles in, gets through two more frames, saves that bullpen a little bit. You're right. I mean, Kurt, uh, Connell comes on and does the Lord's work there, pitching four and two-thirds, really saves the pin for the entire weekend. But could you imagine having to go and, and go to your pin there in the first inning? That would have been disastrous. You know, that's that's the case for any weekend series, too. So good on Dolander for settling in, getting through three, keeping it manageable because, you know, four runs, and by the time, I mean, obviously Tennessee came back to the plate and, and struck gold there in the bottom of the inning as well. But kept it manageable and was able to give Tennessee a fighting chance. Yes, and he deserves credit for that. I, I want to emphasize and, and have a mini conversation on uh, the Evan Russell and stolen bases, and people just assume that it's Evan Russell. And it's not just Evan Russell. It, it's really, really not. And from from multiple people, people that I have spoken with around the program. I mean, it, it's not, it's not all his fault. Is he Yadier Molina back there? Absolutely not. And as I've said a million times on this podcast already within the first month of us doing it, he's not going to win any defensive awards this season. So he he's not necessarily a game changer back there behind the plate, but the six stolen bases in one inning, that was more of a reflection on Chase Dolander than it was Evan Russell. Dolander simply was not giving Evan a chance to throw anybody out. I mean, that that's just the that's just what is what it is. And Tony Vitello 
took up for Evan Russell uh, pretty strongly after the game. Uh, he didn't call out Chase Dolander by name or kind of reference the pitcher or, or anything like that, but you can read into his quotes and, and they're pretty telling uh, Eric. And I'm trying to pull them up real quick here. Uh, and, and he said at one point, like, Hey, uh, talking about Kirby Connell, what he was doing so well. Uh, he said, just throwing strikes and controlling the run game. The only time they tried to run on Kirby, we threw the guy out. Russell did a good job there. If you look at the game as a whole, I thought we defended well and Russ did everything he could. But when we were throwing strikes and controlling the run game, we were pretty much in control of the game. And I asked him kind of why Baylor had success there in the first inning with the stolen bases. And he said, I just think there was too much thinking. You get in an environment like this and we're here for a reason, playoff type of environment. And then some uh, just too much thinking uh, going on. And he had another very telling quote that I shared in our game thread uh, saying that after the game, they got Kirby Connell hot in the first inning because of the run game, not necessarily yeah. because Chase didn't have a lack of command. That was an issue. But the bigger issue was that Chase was allowing Baylor to run all over them. And that's why they got Kirby up in the bullpen and quote, he made us look smart when they brought him in in the fourth inning and Dolander could have thrown another inning or two. He had kind of settled in because he had to sit so long because Tennessee scored four runs in, in the bottom of the first inning, he finished with 73. So he could have pitched one more inning to, to save your bullpen. So I, I think it's very telling that Tony Vitello is coming out and, and taking up for Evan Russell. He didn't specifically point towards Dolander being the issue. He didn't even really say it was the pitcher's fault. But in my opinion, reading into his comments after the game, uh, it seems to be their thought that it's it's a pitching issue. And and the other thing is, this was an issue last year for Tennessee with different pitchers and different catchers. Yeah, you don't you don't just allow six stolen bags in an inning, and that that's not just on one. <laughs> that that is a direct reflection of the tandem. Okay, I mean that's not just on one guy for sure. So. I would uh I would completely agree with you there, but you know, good good way to respond. He threw out a base runner later in the game. I mean, gosh, if I'm a catcher back there and these guys are running all over you, if it's my fault or not, if it's partially my fault, I man, my confidence level is just going down. Like I just I know myself, right? But I mean, you can't can't allow that for that for that to happen. Certainly didn't affect him at the plate either. Um, so you know, good on them for kind of moving past that and good on for Tennessee just overall uh coming and responding in that bottom half of the frame. Um was it four four RBI knocks to tie the game? Yeah, Jared. Yeah, Dickey that led off with a double. Ortega brought him in. Uh, yeah, Drew Gilbert with an RBI single. Lipscomb with a sacrifice fly. Um, now Tennessee did really really well, and then ultimately took the lead in the second inning uh, as well. So <laughs> it's, it's what we always talk about. You know, don't count Tennessee out after just one inning, one bad inning, because this offense is deadly top to bottom. And again, this is the adversity from the day before. Coming in immediately, getting getting hit around for four runs in the first inning, could have been a really really long weekend. But you know, changing that tune there in the bottom of the first inning, getting things back, and I mean that that was a turning point in the entire weekend because there on out, I mean it was all balls. You scored, you scored ten unanswered there uh, in that game. You shut out Oklahoma eight to nothing. You know, I mean it, it could have you could have folded in and went home, but but you didn't. And so I, I thought that was huge. After they go down four to nothing in the top of the first inning, like you just mentioned, Tennessee went on to combine to outscore 
Baylor and the rest of that game and Oklahoma on Sunday, 18 to one. So talk Not about bad. responding to adversity. That's how you do so. On Chase Dolander's struggles, uh, Tony Vitello said that he thought um, there were too many thoughts going on. The stuff was good, but maybe it was flattening out and the command wasn't as good as it was in the second and third inning. Sometimes you see that out of kids. They're just up and wear themselves down. You can only be that hyped up or that excited for so long. Eventually, you are going to drain yourself. He looked to me like he had gotten so many emotions out of his system and had to watch his hit for a while that he just got out there and pitched the next two innings. So there's Tony Vitello speaking to Chase Dolander's struggles uh, there in that first inning. And Kane, aside from the, the pitching in that game, Kirby Connell was phenomenal. Uh, just saving the bullpen in that game, picking up the win, four and two-thirds inning, and he didn't allow a run until he was removed, and Ben Joyce was greeted with an RBI single to to right field that allowed the run, but he was just tremendous. He, he uh, essentially did not give up a run in five innings, and I, I did not see that coming. I, I, I know Kirby's good. I, I have high expectations for him. But I didn't see five five innings and no runs allowed type of performance from Kirby. He was awesome. But also, Tony Vitello went with some lineup changes for Saturday's game. And the one that stood out was Jared Dickey leading yeah. off. And this kid just continues to hit, just absolutely continues to hit. And, Eric, I'm wondering about your take on that double that he had to lead off the bottom of the first that started the Tennessee rally. I don't know if you could tell on TV, but the Baylor center fielder took a huge step in. He, I mean, he, he started coming in for that ball, that line drive that was right at him. Uh, two or three steps, kind of started running in, realized that it was going to be over his head. He tried to get back, and he barely missed catching the baseball. If he goes back like he's taught to do right off the bat, then he makes that catch. And, you know, hard not to wonder, can Tennessee rally in that inning? And if they can't rally in that inning – do they rally in any of the innings? Does Chase Dolander calm down like Tony Vitello talked about and go out there and throw better strikes? And it just wasn't that play from Jared Dickey. He kind of sparked Tennessee all weekend long, uh, particularly in that game. He was three for five, two doubles, two runs scored. He was terrific, and I, I think Tennessee may have found a leadoff hitter. Yeah, and you know who, who's to know um, if if Tennessee could have rallied, say in the second, third, fourth inning, or whatever. It's like a, you can't assume a double play. I mean, you know who's to know, but um, getting a leadoff, extra base hits, huge, especially when you're in a huge deficit. And so I think that you know really had a lot to do with Tennessee uh, kind of responding the way it did. But now I love Jared Dickey in the leadoff spot, man. I mean, I, he he let off what was it, uh, game three of Iona, uh, maybe uh, one of those games. And so it wasn't the first time he's done it this season, but did it twice on Saturday and Sunday and provided so much pop. As you mentioned, went three for five, scored two runs. That was on Saturday. On Sunday, he was over two, but did drive in a run, reach base uh, one time. Um, I like it. And, I, you know, I'm tracking things. Of course, I mentioned it earlier. Evan Russell, he caught all three games. Jared Dickey in the lineup on the weekend, DH, DH, left field twice in the leadoff spots. Uh, your left fielders who got starts this weekend, Stevenson game one, Christian Scott game two, Jared Dickey in game three. So we don't have questions. This is bigger picture weekend. We don't, we still don't have questions about left field or we still have answers about left field. But what we do know is Jared Dickey's going to be in that lineup somewhere DH, left field, catcher, just anywhere you can fit him in that lineup. And 
And when he's there, maybe he is batting leadoff because he provides a lot of pop and a lot of energy there to that top of that lineup. So I, I love that move. The way Jarrell Otega's hitting as well, why not put him in the two-hole? Um, unique because, I mean, again, Luke Lipsch has got so much flexibility in his lineup. You can put him anywhere. And so I thought that was really, really cool. And, and, and good for Tony Vitello trying to shake some things up, right? I mean, you – he had a hard defeat there uh, the, the Friday before looking for a spark, and first time up to bat, you got that spark. And Sunday's game was very much ho-hum. <laughs> uh, as ho-hum for an 8 nothing win as it can be. And Kaner, it, again, it was the true freshman uh, shining, some different true freshmen. The young talent in this program right now is off the charts. I mean, there are so many future professional baseball players on this team right now. Yeah. Jared Dickey, not a true freshman, but a redshirt freshman. Uh, his first season really playing baseball. Uh, everybody talks about Chase Burns, and, and rightfully so, but everybody's forgetting about Drew Beam. And we talked uh, in the preview podcast about Tony Vitello saying that he needs to be included with Dolander, with Burns. It's going to happen next year, so why not now? And you certainly saw why Tony Vitello had those comments on Sunday against Oklahoma because Drew Beam was just absolutely tremendous and efficient uh, is the word that I would really use to describe his performance. Uh, five innings, no no runs allowed, only gave up two hits, one walk, and six strikeouts. He was just flawless, practically. Uh, 68 pitches, I believe all six of his strikeouts. No, I think there were five strikeouts in a row. He, he went on a little run there of where he was just striking guys out uh, left and right. He was tremendous. Christian Moore at the plate. He gets the start at DH, and all he does is go three for four, three RBIs, two runs. He had a double. He had a inside-the-park two-run home run, and then he had an RBI single. So good luck keeping Christian Moore out of the lineup. That's why I said earlier that Jarrell Ortega better keep hitting, and I thank you for mentioning Jarrell Ortega a moment ago because he, he hit extremely well over the weekend. Uh, even when he is getting out, I mean, he's hitting 364 on the season. He's hitting for power. He's hitting line drives. Even his his outs are hard line drives right at somebody. So Jarrell Ortega still, I, I maintain, he better keep hitting because Christian Moore isn't too far behind him. But Moore goes off. Beam goes off. Blake Burke pinch hits the first baseman from Cali, and he hits an opposite field home run. Uh, so the – that was kind of what stood out to me about Sunday's game. It, it was ho-hum. I don't know how good Oklahoma is. They have a, a good arm or two. The top of their lineup is very good. They don't have a lot of depth in their lineup. But still, in general, it, it's a good win over a solid baseball program. And it's the young talent that continues to stand out. Yeah, and again, I'm I'm a broken record here, but you know, you mentioned Christian Moore. Uh, by the way, the I heard this one on the radio from John Wilkerson. The most exciting play in baseball, the inside the park home run. Uh, that was awesome. Um, a great call too. But now Christian Moore had a fantastic game. And say say you want to ride that hot hand. Say here in the midweek, you want to continue to put him in the lineup. Lineup flexibility. Okay, again, I continue to say that because now Jared Dickey, it's he's going to be in the lineup too, right? Put him in left field. I mean Tennessee. In terms of the you know the left field production so far this weekend, in terms of starters, when it combined one for ten with an RBI and a walk, and with amongst three different starters who started out in left field between, of course, uh, Seth Stevenson, Christian Scott, 
and Jared Dickey, of course, got one of those starts, and he was the one that drove in that run, um, uh, you know, from that position on the weekend. So you can slide Dickey over there, continue to hit him, lead off, whatever you want to do. Christian Moore can be now an option as the DH as well, and that way you can keep Ortega in the lineup. So just a great problem to have. But yeah, for, uh, Sunday was uh, it's kind of like a like a softball score, right? A run rule eight o eight o victory. Drew Beam was awesome. You mentioned the stat line. You continue to stretch him out and get more and more from him following that three-inning production he had in his his debut. Obviously, six strikeouts is a career high in his young debut. It's good to see Mabry come back and pitch a, a solid inning after giving up a couple runs on Friday. Uh, Mark McLaughlin as well gave up a hit, worked around it. That was good to see Ben Joyce come in. Um, you know, walked one, but was able to get that out. And so, uh, overall... Ho-hum is a good way to describe it, but good to see the production again from some different guys. And, you know, just goes to goes to show how dangerous these uh, these arms are again when you got Drew Beam. That is the guy we are forgetting about. And you mentioned Tony Vitello said it after last series. Better not forget about him. Better start putting him in the conversation with Burns and, and Dolander. Uh, seeing him shine on Sunday is awesome and, and should be a, some great things for uh, to come this season. And looking down the road, Drew Beam's going to be the odd man out. He's going to be coming out of the bullpen when Blake Tidwell returns. So my question is, sorry to cut you off. And of course you would know more about this than I do the Adam Schefter of Tennessee baseball, (laughs) you know, we're, we're we're a ways away from this. Right. But as, as Tidwell continues to work himself back, work himself out, do you not start him in the bullpen? Let him, let him come in, throw an inning, let him come in, throw an inning in two thirds, or you just stretch, 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 then throw him out there. I, I think they'll start him. I, I don't think that he'll come in and throw seven innings. I, I think he'll come in and be five innings, four innings, and then maybe you go to beam after Tidwell. But he yeah. he's going to come back as as a starter. I, yeah, I don't mean I don't mean. Yeah, I don't mean leave him in the bullpen. I just mean until he yeah, continues yeah, yeah, yeah. to get stretched out or or come in as you pointed out. Let him be an opener of some sort. Right. Not that, an that's what opener. I think that the that's what I think they. They would do, okay. and that's what they will do. Um, when that way you can piggyback with with Beam behind them. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and you're also you're by by that point you're also preparing Tidwell for the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament. If he comes back uh, beginning of April, which is the expectation, maybe the end of March, uh, then you have two months of building him up for the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament. So you, you kind of start him at three or four innings for a start or two, and then you build them up to five for a couple, and then six or seven by the time uh, the tournament rolls around. So, And and they are overly cautious with their players. They, they truly are. And that, that was the situation with Drew Gilbert on Sunday. Uh, Drew Gilbert kind of dealing with a nagging hamstring injury, and he, he came out in the middle of that game on Saturday. Sunday didn't play because they just wanted to be cautious. I mean, it, it was really – uh, that simple that there's no need to risk it. And really, I don't think there's any need to play him this week tonight against James Madison tomorrow against James Madison this weekend against Rhode Island. I mean, it, yeah, it stinks that he won't be able to get some at bats in, but they they've got a midweek game next week and there, there's just no need to, to risk furthering that injury when you're going to need Drew Gilbert next Saturday against or next weekend against South Carolina. So, but Drew Beam, as good as, he, as he's pitching now, imagine him coming out of the bullpen along with Camden Sewell and Kirby Connell and Ben Joyce and Redmond Walsh and Mark McLaughlin, who was terrific on Friday against Texas, terrific Sunday against Oklahoma, 
Will Mabry, he looked good at times over the weekend. You, you already have so many arms, and assuming everything goes according to plan, you're going to add two more bullpen arms because Tidwell is going to go to the rotation. Bean's going to go to the bullpen and be one of your better arms, even as a true freshman in the bullpen. And you're going to add Seth Halverson back. So it's just – it continues to blow my mind. The, the pitching depth and, and the options they're going to have at some point this season. Hopefully everybody can come back healthy. Hopefully people can stay healthy. And if that's the case, I mean, you're, you're going to have as deep of a pitching staff in Knoxville as anywhere in the country. Hey, Ben, is it safe to say that, uh, you know, Christian Scott's the one that came in and, and took over in center field when Tennessee needed someone other than Drew Gilbert? Is Scott the one to play center and, and to play right if needed? There's a lot of options and left but it looks like Scott's that guy that's going to man the other two spots if needed, if Beck or, or Gilbert's on the lineup or not uh, out there playing defense. Yeah, I, I think it would be Booker, but Booker's kind of banged up right now. Yeah. And I think that's why you saw Christian Scott going to center because I think it was Saturday's game. Booker replaced Gilbert in center during Saturday's game. And then Booker, I believe – was replaced later on in the game, and that's because he's dealing with an injury, a minor knickknack uh, right now. That's and, right. It, that, Christian Scott, that was the game where Scott started and left and then moved over. Okay. He hit the two-run yeah. home run to opposite yeah. field into the boxes. Uh, so I, I think it's Kyle Booker, uh, but he's just kind of banged up right now. Okay. Um, they, they just have so many options. Uh, just from my perspective, it seems like Seth Stevenson or uh, Jared Dickey and left and then Christian Scott can play left Kyle Booker can play left but it seems like uh, Booker and Scott as of today this could always change and they mm -hmm. could move up the totem pole in left field as well but uh, Booker and Scott seem to be vying for that backup center field spot and I don't really know who would play right field uh, without Beck I guess Dickey could slide over I mean he's a corner outfielder uh, although he's fast enough to play center field uh, but Tennessee's a little banged up right now in general. Obviously, Tidwell, Halverson, we talked about Drew Gilbert. That's just a, them being cautious with his hamstring. Uh, Kyle Booker's banged up. Charlie Taylor, he's going to be out a couple of weeks. Uh, we, we already knew what his injury was. He fractured uh, the top half of one of his fingers uh, on his glove hand uh, that he catches with. Uh, he just kind of received the ball the wrong way, and it broke the tip half, top half of uh, one of his fingers. I can't remember if it's his ring finger or middle finger. And Tony said originally that he's kind of just out for the weekend, but sounds like he's going to be out two to three weeks. And that includes this past weekend. He did not play uh, for a reason. So something to keep an eye on, but just little minor things, nothing too serious uh, at the moment. Before we get out of here, Eric, I do want to ask you uh, two things. A, and we mentioned this earlier, but just to, to highlight it once again, is the thing you learned most about Tennessee this weekend that they are going to be able to handle adversity? Because I would add in addition to that, and it's pretty much the same thing that I'm about to mention, but, and we've talked about this as well, but in addition to handling adversity, this isn't going to be a rebuilding year. I think that's what I also learned this, this weekend and, and also learned for the future as well, that Tony Vitello recruit so well that under his watch they're not going to be rebuilding years they are going to be reloading years and this team might be better 
if everything goes according to plan, everything comes together, it might be better than last year's team that went to Omaha. So I would add just the fact that this team will handle adversity well and the fact that this team is legit. It's not a re- rebuilding year. It's a, a retooling, reloading year. That, that's kind of what I not learned, but kind of confirmed this weekend. Yeah, confirms a great way to put it because uh, we, we, we thought that coming into the season. We've seen that so far in the early season, the way this lineup's produced and the way these arms have, have shoved. Well, we saw it this weekend, right? We saw it against Texas, even though the final score was was seven to two. I mean, for five innings, you know, we, we saw an 18 year old go to work and, and just, I mean, just, you know, surprising everybody, right? And again, I hate to say it's surprising because we know he's a stub, but still, just in that situation was awesome. Uh, you know, Saturday, watching this lineup respond top to bottom, up and down the lineup, and then, then watching the youth take over on Sunday. So, 100% would agree that not rebuilding, regrouping, Tons of options. Recruit, recruiting is, is so great here in this um, in this program because you have so many guys that are sitting there just, just eyeing for spots, competing. We've mentioned left field. We've mentioned DH. All that affects one another. You know, as soon as Ortega slips up to second base, you got somebody right there. So, um, yeah, I, I would agree with both of those accounts. And, and just, again, just blown away with the youth this weekend again, particularly with Burns and then on Sunday. Um, and then just the way this team responded. Uh, Tough loss Friday night, down, down four nothing after you know midway through one, and then it was a whole different story the rest of the way. So, uh, super excited for what's to come. I hope this next week and a half hurry hurries up so we get to SEC play. And, and just just so we're clear, I think you made it abundantly clear. But again, like if this was South Carolina, Drew Gilbert could have played the rest of the weekend, right? Or, or you know on Sunday, if this was a game that truly mattered, Gilbert would have probably been back out there, right? Yes. Okay. Now, just, just I, I, making sure. I don't think he would have been playing at a, at one hundred percent. I yeah. mean, you could tell that something was bothering him uh, walking around the dugout, and after the game, he had a nice little limp to him. But um, if if you stretch that out before the game and do the the prehab, uh, get game ready, then then he would have been able to give it a go. Would not have been a hundred percent, but uh, in in a do or die game he could have played it's called heating pads and stem you put that you put that uh put that little stem there on that hamstring put a heating pad over it whoo that's right it'll it'll that get is. us running four fours fo that's right uh one thing i do want to mention is jordan beck how many home runs would he have had if he was playing in a college baseball stadium not just lindsey nelson but just a a normal college baseball stadium how many homers would he have hit this weekend couple <laughs> he would have had at least four. I mean, he a couple. He, he was that poor guy just hit into bad luck all year. I mean, he was pissing. There you go on the ball all weekend long, just kind of right at somebody. Uh, Trey Lipscomb also had some balls that he hit really well, just kind of right at somebody or would have been home runs at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. So I thought those two had good weekends at the plate. They just kind of ran into baseball luck is is what yeah, that you, is. A quiet, a quiet quiet 0 for 11 for Trey Lipscomb this weekend until you just mentioned that that's something I didn't really calculate in my mind I'm like okay 0 for 4 0 for 3 0 for 4 wow a quiet uh 0 for 11 for for Trey Lipscomb uh despite how you know how hot he was and that carried over to the midweek last week with ETSU yeah and again he didn't go 0 for 11 because he looked silly at the plate yeah yeah he went 0 for 11 because he continued to hit the ball right at somebody I can think now 
Sunday's game, I believe it was, hit a hard line drive right at the first baseman. Uh, Friday or Saturday, he hit one to the gap that I thought was out of the park and into the bullpen. Uh, so he hit the ball well, mm -hmm. just ran into some bad base, baseball luck uh, there. Last question I have for you. Uh, I mentioned that I had two asked you about what you learned or confirmed this weekend. What about any players that maybe stood out to you that you didn't necessarily expect uh, some players that you maybe have more stock in going forward? Uh, Kirby Connell, for sure. Um, and again, this is not like I'm, I'm introducing myself to, to knowing him. Uh, obviously, I, I know, you know, what he was what he was about last year as you better well. Better know but, the stash. <laughs> but I mean, like he's a guy when we're talking about these bullpen arms and, this, you know, the starters and everything. He's a guy that just doesn't come to mind. He just doesn't. Uh, but his performance on on Saturday was magnificent. So stock in Connell. Uh, continue to throw stock at Dickey. Um, and it's not like he just burst on the scene. He had a seven game hit streak going into what was it, Friday? Uh, or no, going into Saturday. Eight. Our eight game hit streak. Yeah. So now nah, I, I, I continue to be a believer there. And, you know, we'll see about more. I'm not all the way there on more yet, but boy, that performance on Sunday was awesome. And if you can, like we talked about in, in, in preseason uh, le leading up to the season opener, if you can find some consistency there, young guy, if you can find some consistency there, you might have an everyday guy in the lineup. And again, you can move some chess pieces around. So more, not there yet, but a little bit more stock in more, more stock in Dickey and stock in uh, Connell for sure. More stock and more, more stock and more. <laughs> uh, my prediction is that midway through SEC play mid April, I don't know a specific date, I should say, but just by the end of the regular season, Christian Moore will be an everyday starter. Maybe not at second base, but at least at DH. He is that talented. Everybody talked about Chase Burns coming in, and, and Blake Burke had a lot of fanfare, rightfully so. Uh, but Christian Moore, people knew about him kind of towards the end of the draft process, but he could have signed a professional contract, and, and he was one of the elite prospects throughout the country, and – you have seen glimpses so far this season, and I think it's going to be really hard to keep him out of the lineup. And I think by the end of the year, he is a consistent bat that is producing in that lineup. More stock and more fanning fans. <laughs> there you go. I, I, I see what you did there. I'm very proud of you. Nice puns. And, and Thank we're you. getting out of here in a second just because you're starting to get off the rails uh, I am. here. But, yeah, I agree with you. Those same players for me as well. Uh, even more impressed by Drew Beam today than I was going into the weekend, and I was already yeah. impressed. Somehow I'm more impressed with Chase Burns after what he was able to do <laughs> on Friday night. Uh, there's not really anybody um, that I, I have less stock in. Uh, may, maybe Ethan Smith. Uh, he, he's kind of been so -so. He was a guy, uh, you know, when I was, when I was prepping for the show here um, and obviously watching a little bit over the weekend – yeah, he, he's not looked that great. Of course, last time I said that on a thread, I think he struck out like four in a row, right? Um, I've been a little let down so far with Ethan Smith. That does not mean that that's going to be how he pitches the entire year. I would say stock down with Ethan Smith, but we'll see. And then Seth Stevenson, um, stock down. If, I, if I'm handing out stock downs right now. Yeah, uh, he, I agree with you there. He's not taking control of that spot, obviously, and you know, Jared Dickey's got a lot to do with that, but his approach doesn't look fantastic at times. So 
uh, I would say stock down for him as well. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Uh, and was kind of thinking the same thing. He he looked overmatched against Texas on Friday night, but credit to him, he came back later in the weekend after being benched for Christian Scott. Is either Saturday or Sunday game, and he came back and he he had a RBI hit, I believe he had some type of hit. I just can't remember exactly what it was, but he did come back and and get a hit, a base hit after being benched. So kudos to him for that. And you certainly see the tools there, like he has sneaky yep. pop in his bat. He is after Enrique Bradfield Jr. at Vanderbilt. He's probably the second fastest player in the league. Uh, so it's early in the year. And, you know, it's an adjustment for him coming from Juco Ball. Speaking of Juco Ball and stock down, surprised that we did not see Logan Chambers over the weekend until the end of Sunday. That, that was very surprising mm-hmm. to me. I, I kind of was thinking that he was banged up there for a second. But then he came in and pinch hit at the end of Sunday's game and grounded out the second. That was a little weird to me. And I want to go back to Ethan Smith, the Vandy transfer. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt right now. He, he hasn't popped out to me or, or just stuck out to me, I should say, uh, so far in his appearances. But like I'm still giving him the benefit of the doubt because he got here like right before the season started. And you go from a program that is led by a former military member to a program that is the definition, if not more of a player's coach, just totally different atmospheres in each program comparing Vanderbilt to Tennessee's new faces, uh, even aside from the difference in cultures and programs, new faces, new teammates, new coaches, a whole lot of new for him. And it's also kind of awkward going from Vandy to Tennessee, Tennessee's biggest rival, Vandy's biggest rival. I mean, there's some awkwardness there as well. So I'll be curious to, to revisit this conversation end of March, middle of April. Clearly he has the talent to, to be productive. And I, I, I trust Frank Anderson to at some point get that out of him. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what that looks like, how that uh, progresses. And again, it's not like he's bad right now. He's, he's looked pretty decent at times. Just, you know, from top to bottom, from beginning of your outing to end of your outing uh, needs to be more consistent, I guess. But, uh, yeah, totally not, you know, it, it's you're three weeks into the season. So there's there's a lot more left. And as you mentioned, just got here, too. So trying to get adjusted everything. Overall, I think the Tennessee baseball team's off to a good start. Good weekend. And uh, I just I just wish it was SEC play. <laughs> I mean, I really, really do. Yes. And just a couple house cleaning notes before we get out of here. Uh, one more player I want to mention in terms of maybe stock down, Chase Dolander. Not not really willing to say that, yeah. that that they're stocked down, but I have next Saturday circled on my calendar when I mm-hmm. assume that Chase Dolander will be starting against South Carolina. I, I had that I had that circled. I, I want to see if he can bounce back. I expect that he will. Uh, he has the tools to do so, but just something to keep an eye on. I'm not freaking out. I'm not worried. Everybody's do a, a bad outing. Chase Burns is going to have a bad outing at some point. Uh, Drew Beam's going to get rocked at some point. It all happens. But I do have that Saturday against South Carolina scheduled just to see how he bounces back. This upcoming weekend against Rhode Island isn't going to tell us anything. Mm-hmm. He's going to go five, six innings, have double-digit strikeouts. Um, but I want to see how he p- pitches against South Carolina here in two weeks. He's had two bad innings. He's had two... Bad inning, sixth inning against Georgia Southern, the first Saturday of the season, and then obviously the first inning uh, here against uh, against Baylor. So, 
Yeah. And, and it's like, they've, they've come in clusters, right? It's just been disastrous innings. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, just gosh, I mean, just seeing the, the, what he works with in his repertoire, the way he attacks hitters. I've seen too much already early on to say that, yeah, the ERA is a little inflated right now, but I don't think that'll be anything to worry about. I, I, he's got some good stuff. So how does he bounce back? Won't be against Rhode Island, like you said. I mean, he will, but you know, we're not going to do anything against Rhode Island. We'll see uh, once SEC play begins. Uh, those house cleaning notes that I mentioned real quick before we get out of here, uh, where Tennessee is ranked this week, Tennessee is nearly a consensus top 10 team, Kane, after this past weekend's trip to Houston. Collegiate baseball moved them up to number three in their rankings. The USA Today coaches poll moved them up to number four. Perfect game moved them up to number six. The National College Baseball Writers Association moved them up to number nine. D1 Baseball up to 10. And Baseball America, the only publication that does not have them as a top 25 team, they are at number 11. So I know that's a lot of different polls, uh, but do want to share what everybody's thought is on the Vols and, and pretty much a similar thought across the publications. Everyone always asks me kind of which one is the most credible. I trust D1 baseball and go by D1 baseball uh, because I think they do the best job at covering college baseball. So that's the one that I use uh, in, in my stories that I write in the game thread, what's published on articles. I, I go by what D1 baseball has them ranked at and that's number 10. So like today you'll see Tennessee baseball's Twitter account refer to Tennessee as the number three team in the country, because that's the highest that they have them ranked at collegiate baseball and nothing wrong with that. Tennessee should do that because you want to bring as much attention to the program as possible. But for me, as much as I would love to refer to Tennessee as number three, just to be consistent and, and use the one and kind of stick to my mindset of trusting D1 as in my opinion, the team that, covers Tennessee the best that's the ranking that I go by so quick thought on Tennessee being a near consensus top 10 team I think that's awesome uh, again I just think that goes to show you how how much this program has come under under uh, Tony Vitello it's incredible so uh, there's a bunch of different polls as you mentioned out the highest third uh, the highest being three the lowest being 11 I mean that just that just pretty much proves you're, you're a top 10 team in the country right now and um I just I think that's awesome to begin SEC play or to be inching ever so close closely uh, to SEC play. Uh, Tennessee hosts two midweek games this week, both against James Madison. The first game tonight on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. That game was moved up 30 minutes due to weather. It looks like Knoxville is going to get a pretty good amount of rain tonight. And then they'll also play tomorrow night on Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern James Madison, one of the better midweek games teams that Tennessee is going to play. They are eight and four on the season. Uh, Tennessee should win both games. Uh, they started the season at FSU, a uh, number 11 ranked FSU team, and they were swept and weren't very competitive. Lost four to one on Friday, but then lost 13 to two on Saturday, 10 to four on Sunday. And they've won most of their games since then. They beat George Mason 14 to nothing. They swept Fairleigh Dickinson in their home opening weekend. They beat VMI 28 to four on a Tuesday. Uh, that sounds miserable. Uh, the next day, they beat Richmond nine to two. This past weekend, they took two of three from Quinnipiac. They lost eight to two on Friday, won six to four on Saturday. And then Sunday, two days ago, they won 19 to one. 
So James Madison, a, a better midweek team than than you're going to play usually, and they they have a stud out in the outfield, Kane Christian Deluder, a preseason All American, Golden Spikes Award watch list. Uh, he's he's probably going to be a first round pick, if if not a first round pick, uh, very close to a first round pick. So that's Tennessee's two midweek games, and then. This weekend, they take on Rhode Island, as we mentioned. And since we're doing this podcast to recap the weekend a a little bit late, and because the competition isn't great this weekend, this is going to be our only podcast of the week. We will be back with you on Sunday to review the weekend, but we're not going to do a preview pod again since we're doing this on Tuesday. And it's Rhode Island. They're not very good. Uh, They're barely better than Iona, if that. But uh, Rhode Island this weekend – Friday, 6.30, Saturday, 6 o'clock, and then Sunday's game on UT Sports does not currently have a time. So uh, you can obviously keep up with Eric and I on VolQuest and social media for baseball updates throughout the week and weekend. But, Eric, I think the thing that is most important for Tennessee this weekend is just to continue to get guys opportunities at the plate, on the mound. You've got a couple guys who are banged up. Stay healthy. Keep the guys who are healthy. Mm -hmm. Keep them healthy. But then also your Drew Gilberts, Kyle Bookers, Charlie Taylors, uh, get them healthier as you, you you gear up for SEC play next Saturday, next weekend against South Carolina. It'll be a fun one. But those are the kind of the things that I'm paying attention to this week. You'll get more out of these two midweeks uh, games against Madison, James Madison, than you will this weekend. So I, I'd say attack it. Not that you're ever going to let up, but I mean, attack it just like you would a weekend series. Um, it's going to be, you know, situated a little bit differently. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what the arm, what these arms look like. And Ethan Smith will get a lot of run the next two days. Um, you know, can, can he bounce back stuff like that? So that's what I'm looking forward to. Get healthy, like you said, and um, you know, we'll see. We'll see a ton of bats over the next five games, uh, especially this weekend. So, uh, can some of these can can Stevenson bounce back and, and get back in more of a, a routine? Can Booker get healthy and get some more run? Intrigued to see there. Um, and then uh, just again, I just I wanted to be SEC play so bad. I'm tired I'm of with you. I, I'm tired of all these crap games and all that. I, the next two the next two nights, how do you handle their stud? Because again, uh, first round draft pick, a Golden Spikes board watch list. He's somebody that I'm intrigued to watch. And uh, don't let him beat you. Uh, certainly, do not let him beat you like uh, some of these players are capable of doing. Yeah, Georgia Southern. That was fun to talk about. Season opener, Georgia Southern, a solid baseball program. Yeah. Uh, this weekend was really fun, obviously, uh, previewing that was really fun, but Iona just knowing what they were, that, that was not fun to sit through. It wasn't fun to talk about. You just don't learn a lot in those games And Rhode Island is the same way. Rhode Island is and 10, Eric. They were swept by William and Mary to start the season. Uh, they were swept the next weekend by South Alabama. And then this past weekend, they played four games against Auburn for some reason. They played on Friday night, lost seven to two. They played a double header on Saturday, lost 16 to nothing and 12 to nothing. So they lost 28 to nothing on the day. And then this past Sunday, they lost 14 to one. And Auburn's not a bad team, but they're very much a middle of the road SEC team. And they destroyed Auburn. So uh, Rhode Island 0 and 10. And I'm with you. SEC play. Cannot get here. Somebody asked in the chat last night, um, you know, which one's worse, Iona or Rhode Island? And I just, we've seen Iona play. If that's not the worst team in the country, I don't want to freaking know who is. I don't want to see who is. So if that's Rhode Island, I don't want to watch any of it this weekend because, 
Yeah, you just you just aside from it being a complete waste of time, you just don't learn anything. Like you said, you're not getting much from it outside of seeing live pitching, right? So, it is what it is. Comes with the territory, but hey, uh, it's part of the process, right? It is. But SEC play is here. Shout out to our guy Sam Smith who asked that question in the Monday night chat, and I I didn't even answer his question. I just said SEC play can't can't get here soon enough. So that that tells you how I feel, and so. We appreciate everybody tuning in with us and uh, being patient with us as well. I, I had a couple of people tweet at us and DM me on the GQ and DM me on Twitter. Where's the podcast? Where's the podcast? So I appreciate y'all being patient and uh, also listening, also listening. So uh, we'll be back with you on Sunday to recap the games against James Madison, to recap the weekend against Rhode Island. And we will be way more excited on Sunday because we will have gotten these games in our rear view and we'll be getting ready for SEC play. So for Eric Kane, I am Ben McKee, and we both hope you all have a great week.